On this episode of AV Week, we talk about securing AV products, user interface experience, and selling to multiple decision makers. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 376, recorded Friday, November 9th, 2018. Comfort level. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Sure, because every voice matters. And by Extron Electronics. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, her name is Megan Dutta, and she is all over all content uh, creation, everything for SCN and all sorts of things over at, at uh, Future. Welcome, ma'am. Welcome. Glad to be here. Uh, also with us is my buddy Steve Greenblatt. Steve is the Chief Muckety Muck over at Control Concepts, also the host of our State of Control podcast. Welcome, sir. Thanks. Uh, good to be here. Uh, thank you, sir. Also with us is Chaz Porter. Chad is, is from FSR. Welcome, sir. Thank you, Tim. Glad to be here. Uh, and I just want to mention the fact that, that this is not the first time I've seen these folks uh, this week. I got to hang out with them at uh, Avix's AVEC uh, the first part of this week. And I actually got to hang out with Megan last night in Chicago. And we'll talk about that uh, towards the end of, of why we were, why I was in Chicago. Megan lives there, but I, I don't. So just up the state for me. Um, all right. First uh, story we're going to uh, kick off here actually comes from uh, SCN and, and AV uh, Network. Nareva is integrating single sign-on uh, into their SPAN uh, work, workspace. And what this means is um, later this month, month uh, the SPAN workspace administrators can control user authentication, uh, implement multi-factor authentication, and enforce password complexity parameters throughout their cloud SSO service providers. What this means, and if you're not familiar with with what single sign-on is and multi-factor authentication, it's a security protocol. It's a security issue. Um, And uh, Steve, I want to start with you, actually, because you've talked a lot about this on, on State of Control. When it comes to security protocols like this and security measures like this is this something that manufacturers other manufacturers other than nareva can take as a template and apply to some of their products because that's one thing that we've talked about before where ways that that av manufacturers can help make av networks more secure uh, I, I'm sure it, it's something that everybody's thinking about uh, you know, security is definitely can the more secure that you are the the better i think you'll you'll be perceived in the market uh you know of course unless the security ends up becoming something that stands in the way of the of the device functioning or makes it too complex uh to integrate uh one of the things that we're actually seeing we're we're doing some development with devices and and actually had this conversation with my team this morning is that more and more devices are becoming are, are introducing security in, into their API. And that's something that we're going to have to be more in tune with and, 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 be, and, and more of the languages and the platforms from the control side are going to have to be supporting uh, an additional uh, capabilities to be able to, to provide security and, and those handshakes and, and make sure that the, the, 
the communication, the connections, and and also the the way that devices operate um, are are, uh, are the security is becoming more prominent. Megan, according to the article, 25% of organizations are implementing some sort of, of security like this, some sort of SSO integration. Uh, education apparently is leading it at 40.3%. We spent a lot of time this week uh, at AVEC listening to numbers and facts and figures. Do facts and figures like this help integrators when they're trying to implement something that um, may not be maybe in, in their wheelhouse, but also in talking with their clients saying, look, you guys, there's a lot of people that are already doing this. This is something that you might want to consider uh, putting into, into your system and into your network. It definitely can. I mean, when I worked in marketing, my number one way of convincing people to do something was to use facts and figures because anything you have that any research, you have hard numbers that can support that people are more likely to believe you than saying, you know, in my opinion, you can say, this is my opinion, but also here's the facts to back it up. So I think it helps. But I also think we need to be careful when we talk about facts and figures and where they came from. Is this a sampling of five people, 10 universities, and you know four of them have this? You know, We need to make sure we're having research that's authenticated and actually means something. Yeah. Chaz, I want to circle back to something uh, Steve was talking about, whether or not the security is getting in the way. Uh, for manufacturers getting in the way of a, a, a integration being uh, successful. Is this something where manufacturers can help their integrators get educated on these security protocols and kind of walk them through the process the first couple of times or do something like you guys do, have education for you know best practices when it comes to implementation of certain products and features? Oh, I think as a manufacturer, it, it, this is a very hot topic around our office um, on, on two levels, um, as an AV manufacturer, it's critical because we all know more and more devices are being hung on the network. And as our business transitions more onto the IT umbrella, our products, like control products, are at risk. Um, I can speak for our company alone. We have two individuals. Their full-time job is to handle network security for us. And we are being hacked on a daily basis. Um, I don't know what it is about uh, some of our foreign interests, but they, they have a, a high level of interest in FSR because we get hacked daily. Um, so it, it's a high level of priority for us. And we look at it when we um, put manufacturing plans together for any product that's going to hang on a network. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, our next uh, topic, our next article comes to us from uh, from AV Magazine. Actually, uh, Megan and SCN has, has a story like this as well. We'll put a link to both of those. Uh, but John Underkoffler uh, spoke at the Wired Live conference in London. If you don't know who John is, John's the CEO of Oblong. Before he was there, though, he was at MIT's media uh, lab. And, and between those two, he was the technical advisor on a little movie called Minority Report. I mentioned Minority Report. Megan and I uh, went up to uh, Oblong's office in Chicago and got a, a really nice demonstration. And during that, uh, it was explained to, to us, and Megan, correct me if I'm, if I'm mis misremembering this, that there's a lot of folks who use Minority Report as the dystopian future of digital signage, right? Where you're, you're able, able to, to look at into my eyes uh, digitally and say, you know, and put up on, on a billboard, hey, Tim, here's this, that, and the other, you know, here's some hair gel or whatever you know, I, I need or whatever. 
that's not really what that was intended to do. But what John has been able to do is take his experience both in the media lab and in Minority Report and, and create a product actually out of that. And he's talking about user interface and user experience. And he says, quote unquote, nobody is being asked to think in a broad sense about the user interface. And there's no dedicated group of architects or scientists in this domain. The best way to move forward is to look at everything we know around the world, the physical space and the relationship and causality that embodies the physical universe and start building in that. Megan, I'll start with you on this. This one of these things that Evixa has talked about for years and before Evixa Infocom, talking about the exceptional experience. This year at the Infocom show, they had a, a course on design, right? User interface and, and exceptional user interface. Can either somebody like John or, or, or somebody in our industry really take us in the industry, both from a user interface experience, the folks that create graphical user interfaces like people at, at Steve's companies uh, and, and Chaz's, and really kind of move us as an industry forward, but also technology forward to really get into the real user interface and, and how people really interact with our devices as well as other technology devices? I think we're seeing it already, but it, we're, as an industry, we're slow to adopt. And I think we'll, we, we're, it's clear we're struggling with it. You know, some people don't even still don't like that Avixa changed their name from Infocom and they don't want to accept that. And I, I can give an example. We did um, an experienced designers list that's going to be published shortly. And looking at the submissions, a lot of them were just regular integrators, audio designers. So I don't think people even understand sometimes what that means. So it's a, you know, finding a commonality and a definition for the industry and then working with people to create that and then create jobs that specifically do that. And I know there are some manufacturers that are into that and have started doing that already, but it's going to take time. Chaz, same kind of question of uh, where manufacturers can take this. Uh, you guys have a graphical user interface for your control system. You know, there, this is something where you, you as a manufacturer, you know, how do you guys help our integrators uh, get a handle on what exactly and how exactly the users are interfacing with this technology? You know, Tim, th this whole conversation takes me back about 30 years. Um, it, it's interesting. I worked as a manufacturer's rep back in the computer business 30 years ago, and we represented a, a device that you connected to your Macintosh computer, and it let you actually use voice commands. Imagine that, voice commands. And it was a colossal dud. And why was it a colossal dud? Because the, uh, the user never really had that aha moment. And, and fast forward 30 years, and we're all talking about voice interfaces, Alexa, and I think everyone on this panel has a moment like I had where my iPhone came out with Siri and voice control. What do I need voice control for? Until that day I'm speeding down the highway and I'm trying to dial a phone number and I can't find it and I look up and I'm three lanes of traffic across the highway. Um, a little bit of exaggeration, but everybody's had a please, moment Yes, like please that. tell me you're exaggerating. Yeah. But guess what? The next time I use Siri to, to dial a phone number, we haven't had that aha moment in the industry to push us to the next level of interface. Um, 
I think we all agree that we need to to start looking at the interface um, and making changes to it and improvements to it. But I, I think we haven't hit that aha moment yet. All right, Mr. Greenblatt, uh, you're the, the control programmer here and, and Control Concepts does this on, on a full-time basis each and every day. Is it you? Is not necessarily you, I'm not picking on you, Steve, but is it is it is it the control systems programmers? Is it the graphical folks who are gonna drive this or is it somebody else? So I, I uh, you know the the emphasis on user interface uh, it tends to kind of uh, ebb and flow in my opinion in in our experience in the industry we you know we went from trying to do something that was really dynamic and very uh, eye catching and and that became the showpiece to becoming very simple and you know it, the, the flat graphics is the the good uh, example of that. We want to tone it down and 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 use less buttons and keep it very basic. So I, I I I feel like the conversation needs to be more about user experience than it does about user interface. And and uh, that that's really where our focus is 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 trying to be able to pr provide the client with uh, a customized and and easy to operate for them in their mind easy to operate um uh, way of being able to interact with technology and uh and, and sometimes that's user experience sometimes that's user interface but sometimes that's providing automation for them and allow and having things done in the background and being able to make the system more intelligent and uh and and i think that that's the main shift of where we need to be going in the industry uh, you know of course user interface is part of that but I don't think that it tells the whole story. It's it's uh, it's also how how the operation of the system becomes more personalized and and how the to be able to provide more comfort and and to be able to I think start to leverage more IoT and and be be, be an AI and so forth and and be more uh, of a, a predictable functionality than just a static functionality. I want to pick on something you said there, Stephen. That's that's provide more comfort, and it, I, I will start with Megan on this, and then go through you guys again. Megan, do you think that is maybe a, a product of the generationals? And, and the reason I ask that is this: is Chaz referenced the fact that voice control was introduced thirty some odd years ago with a, a secondary device, an outboard device, to move voice control into a Mac, right? And what maybe some of you didn't realize is the fact that then he referenced Siri which was voice control into a Mac. So 30 years ago, voice control into a Mac didn't work, didn't take off because you had folks who were baby boomers, by and large, right? By and large, baby boomers at that point were the vast majority of, of the, the, the workforce. 30 years later, Siri, which again is voice control into an Apple iPhone, which is, is a Mac for all intents and purposes, did take off and did work. And now we've got Alexa and now we have Google Home and now we have you know, Apple's um, smart uh, speaker, and you have a, a version of it from from Harman as well. Do you think maybe some of this is generational, where you know, depending on what you grew up with and what you're comfort with, to use Steve's phrase, comfort level, is it going to change as the workforce evolves and different generations come into the workforce? I definitely think so. I mean, even for me, like I get really frustrated with my Apple products, but I use them because they're easy for me to use. Whereas my husband, he likes. Um, his Samsung phone because he can totally customize it and he loves that. You know what, which one is better? I don't know, but 
it just depends on your comfort level. And I think, you know, this generation, we're always like, well, they grew up with technology. They understand it. But say in 15, 20 years, are they still going to understand the next generation of technology? Probably not. Yeah. Chad, same kind of question. What is comfort for each, for each generation and each of the different uh, age groups within FSR? It, it, that's an interesting question. Um, I just got my 89-year-old father and 87-year-old mother to use an iPhone. So what, what we're comfortable with as an interface was a very long and difficult learning curve uh, for them. And I think that that's always going to be the case, you know, as more and more technology gets um, proliferated into the world, the younger people tend to be more of the early adopters and, um, and it, it uh, works its way up into the workforce. Well, Steve has mentioned early adopters. How, how much of a bleeding edge can user interface designers be? Uh, because there is, again, to use your word, that there is that comfort level. You still have to have make sure people are are able to use it and feel comfortable using the interface. But how much, how cutting edge can they be? I I actually think that they need to leverage what's known already and what what people are are used to and comfortable. And well, I don't want to repeat the word comfort, but you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm beating that com- that comfort board to death. So you go right ahead. And, and in this article, they talked a lot about the Mac interface, right? But yep. uh, and I think that the Mac interface was was really revolutionary. But is that really what people identify with, or is it the iPhone interface? That's the one that we keep getting, and now what we're getting is Zoom and you know, that, that, cause it's simple and it works and that's what people like. And so, so I think you have to leverage what something, what, what somebody knows already. Um, a lot of the conversations we're having now stem from just that, you know, if a, if a client or, or an organization is invested in a platform, they want to be able to take that platform that they already know. And that, and that, 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 that is, at the desktop and, and, and they, they've invested in and then use that as the basis for their user interface rather than taking a custom user interface and taking these other products and integrating them into this, this new custom user interface. And not to beat the, the Apple uh, to death, but they were the first ones to mass market the mouse, right? Uh, now, they didn't develop it. Um, as many Apple products, uh, <laughs> uh, but they, they took it from IBM and said, well, we think this is going to be something IBM disagreed with them. And they said, okay, knock yourself out. Have it. I'm simplifying the story. Please don't write me. Um, but they're the ones who really kind of let it go, you know, um, let it go off and same with the graphical interface. I mean, the fact that we have icons and folders and stuff like that on our desktops now, uh, is because it, the first Mac was the one, first one to do it. And the windows operating system came along and, and, borrowed from that as well. Um, so I think it, you're right, is, is figuring out what people are comfortable with and, and going on from there. Um, I think, can I add to that one yeah. more? I think one of the things we're kind of missing is we, and it comes back to the research, and we talk about this a lot, but we're designing for what the end user wants in terms of the end user, that's the integrator's client. And I think we need more research on what the actual end user, the person that's using it in the day-to-day life how they want to interact with it because the person that's, you know, in an AV or IT role, they know how to use this stuff. It's very simple for them, but is it getting adopted actually, especially in the workplace because those people don't necessarily know how to do it or that's not the way they want to do things the way their phone is set up. They don't want to do things the way we have it set up. Yeah. That's, that's spot on because that's one of the things is you have to figure out who your actual user 
of the technology is not your client but who the actual you know the consumer of your technology uh, all right, guys, last story here comes to us from Commercial Integrator. They did research and study of their, their own uh, with, with their readers um, talking about who's making the decisions in, in when it comes to meeting technologies and meeting room technologies. And I find this interesting. There's two points I want to I point out here. Number one is how much does a typical consumer spend on meeting room audio? Vast majority, 68, 60% almost, 1000 to $5,000. Other ones on, on there was $10,000 or more at, at 7%. Um, between five and ten thousand was was it thirty percent? But the other one I want to drill down on here is who is typically your client's most influential decision maker? And Chaz, I want to we'll start with you on this. It was split three ways, basically. I mean, between twenty two percent, twenty eight, and thirty percent. The IT manager, the C level, uh, the C suite, or the owner, and the manager specific to your client's business or department. How then do you as a manufacturer and how do these integrators go a set about targeting the right person when you have three separate types of people, three separate needs, three separate you know, pain points, how then do you go about selling to these folks when you have basically a, a, a three-pronged uh, decision process? You know, it's, it's funny. I have this conversation with friends frequently when we talk about the, the customer set in the AV business. Um, frequently, there's so many people involved when we have a technology-enabled room. We have the architect. We have the consultant. We have the building owners. Now we're even seeing that the, the GCs working on the jobs have influence in the equipment that goes in the room. Um, it's, it's very complex and we spend an awful lot of time, energy and, and finances tackling all these different channels. You know, we have people that, um, are addressing specifically the architecture channel. We have people going after the the commercial real estate channel. Um, it's a, it's a complex matter. Steve, same kind of question is, is how do you design and how do you roll out a, you know, back to the last question, a, a user interface that's acceptable to everybody when you have three different types of decision makers? Uh, well, <laughs> I, 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 I think carefully. So, <laughs> okay. so uh, you know, um, it's important to get to know the client, and and I think you know, and uh, if I could just kind of talk about what, what some of the things we learned at, at AVEC recently when we were, all of us were there is that is that it's important to listen to what the client is asking for and, and what they what they know and what they bring to the table, and and I think that that that's where it stems from is uh, is is finding out what is the objective, what it, what is what is the goal that they're trying to achieve by investing in technology? And, and that was another comment that, that was at the event. And, and I think start from there to be able to, to design the proper solution. Megan, one of the things Steve referenced AVEC, one of the interesting parts about this year's AVEC, which is a departure from the last few years, is they had an entire afternoon of discussion panels, right? Where they, they invited folks, uh, whether subject matter experts or, or actual end users in, um, the different verticals. They had uh, sports venues, they had education, uh, they had uh, uh, architects and stuff like that. How does an integrator wrap their head around this of uh, getting um, folks to buy into what it is they're selling and, and to develop a, a proposal when they do have so many different and varying 
I guess, buyer dynamics or, or buyer portfolios? I think that's the million dollar question, right? <laughs> I am asking it. <laughs> if I could do that, I would be number one on our top 50 integration list. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I think you kind of have to divide and conquer and decide what market you're going after and then research in that market. Like mid-sized companies want X, but large global corporations want Y and super small companies want Z. You know, you have to find a way to generally categorize people and kind of live within those rules when you're selling things. All right. I think that's a good place to stop. Uh, we're quickly before we, we get out of here. I mentioned the fact that, that Megan and I um, spent a, a, an awful lot of time this week. We were both at, at ABEC. But last night, we're recording this on Friday, the uh, the 9th of November, last night, uh, Thursday the 8th, was the Chicago area's uh, very first of, uh, Women of Avix's group. Is that right? Not council, not, not chapter. Group. Avix, yeah. So they're all called groups. Um, right. It's the Avixa Women Chicago Metro Group. Okay, and it was the fall, uh, the fall ball, 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 ball. And real quickly, if somebody's interested, they, they we've done a lot of stories. You guys have done stories. We did a special uh, with a number of the local uh, chapter, the local group leaders. If somebody's interested in getting one started in their own region, uh, whether it's in the U.S. or outside the U.S., how do they do that? So it's very simple. You sign up for the council, which is on. Avixa's website. You have to be an Avixa member to start start off with that. You have to be an Avixa member. There's a form to sign up for the council and on the form it says I'm interested in being a local leader. So if your region doesn't have one yet, you can start it. Um, we look for usually two or three people to do it because it's very difficult for one person to carry all of that. So finding a team in your local region and just reach out to Amanda at Avixa and she will help you get started. Go by Avixa's website, which is avixa.org. Uh, thank you guys so much uh, for joining us. Uh, Mr. Greenblatt, sir, thank you. And how do people find you or uh, Control Concepts? I could be found on social media at Steve Greenblatt, company controlconcepts.net, but uh, check out A State of Control. That's really where you can find us every month. So uh, Rich Fergoza and I and uh, our guests, we try to do uh, evergreen topics about control programming and automation. So check it out. Very good. Mr. Chaz Porter, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people thank you, find Tim. you uh, or FSR? You can find FSR at FSRinc.com and you can find me at Chaz underscore FSR on Twitter. All right, very good. And Ms. Dada, I got to hang out with you one last time for the year uh, in person yesterday. So thank you. Uh, how do people find you or SCN or Future? So if you want to read all of the latest news, go to avnetwork.com. You can follow us on Twitter at SCNMag, and you can follow me on Twitter at Megan A. Dutta. All right, very good. Uh, don't follow me on the Twitters, um, although at this point I'm still rooting for the Bears, who are in first place, I would like to point out. <laughs> <laughs> Last week I was the world's biggest, uh, well, probably the second world, world's second biggest Patriots fan um, because they successfully beat the, the Packers. Uh, thank God. Uh, but <laughs> by the website, if you would please. Chaz is a, is a Patriots fan. So uh, go Thanks, by the way, but if you would please, avianation.tv, avianation.tv, you'll find this program and a host of others. Uh, if you're interested in digital signage and how to create content, we, will, we have a webinar for that coming up actually this Wednesday. Uh, we're posting this on Monday the 11th, so come uh, Monday the 12th, rather. Um, 
check that out. Uh, it happens uh, this Wednesday at uh, 1 o'clock Eastern on how to create uh, really great content consistently for your digital signage, some really smart people, and me asking them questions. Also, while you're there, uh, check out our underwriter section. These are the folks who help us financially help us bring you AV Week uh, and Digital Signage Week in about two or three months' time. will bring us uh, Integrated Systems Europe. Uh, FSR is one of those folks. We thank them for their support. So check all of that out and more and our weeklies and our monthly programs as well. So all that at avnation.tv avnation.tv thanks so much for listening thank you so much for watching that's all the time we have for av week